The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we will discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien whether in his writings or any of the media derived from them. And today we're discussing the new Amazon Prime show, Rings of Power, and introducing ourselves to you. So I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today in the panel are Caitlin Fasista. Caitlin? Hello. Thomas Salerno. Hey, Thomas. Hey there, Dom. Thomas Sanherho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jeff Hecker. Hey, Jeff. Good day, Dom. So, folks, before we get into the to the the show, I want to encourage you to be sure to follow the Secrets of Middle Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of the podcast directories or apps that are out there. You can find us on social media at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or on Twitter where we're at SQPN or on Instagram where we're at StarQuest Network. So uh, let's get right into our discussion. This is our first episode. It's You'll see that it's numbered number 28. The Secrets of Middle-Earth podcast actually has a quite a long history. It goes back over a decade, uh, but it's been uh, on hiatus for a bit. Uh, and we've brought it back uh, to the to the land of the living uh, because we've got this amazing new series coming from Amazon called The Rings of Power. And we'll be talking about that each week as episodes come out. But we wanted to have an episode to start where we introduce ourselves to you and talk a little bit about Tolkien and his greatest work and one of the greatest works of literature in the English language and what we love about it, what we're looking forward to and what we're hoping for uh, as we get into things uh, with the, the new Amazon series. So uh, let's start with some introductions. I'll, I'll start introduce myself. So I'm Don Bettinelli. I'm the CEO of the StarQuest Network and uh, I'm hosting this time. And uh, I have been a Tolkien fan for Oh, let's see. How old am I? Over over forty years. <laughs> I I was uh, about ten years old when I discovered the Hobbit on my mother's nightstand table, and picked it up and devoured it several times. And then she got me the Lord of the Rings books, and I read those. And over the course of the next ten years, I read them sixteen times, and uh, loved them all. And then I discovered the Silmarillion and the Unfinished Tales, and then. Uh, all of the writings that compiled by Christopher, his uh, Tolkien son, which are if, uh, the uh, panelists can see right over my shoulder. Uh, I don't know. I, it's all reversed. But anyway, there <laughs> I have the, the 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 Peoples of Middle Earth series and the uh, red. One of my prized possessions is the Red Book of Westmarch edition of the that's, that I love that. I just want it. Well, as soon as I saw it as a kid, I knew I had to have it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've been a lifelong Lord of the Rings fan. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read it and I've passed on the, that love for it to my kids who are all big uh, Lord of the Rings nerds and fans uh, just like me. So uh, that's me. So why don't we go to uh, in no particular order, Thomas Salerno, Thomas, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your Tolkien background? Hey, so I am a uh, writer and a podcaster and Tolkien enthusiast like everyone else here. Um, 
I uh, I first got introduced to Tolkien when I was 13 years old, that which was right around the time the Peter Jackson movies were coming out. And it's it's an interesting story because, like, I had just read the first Harry Potter book. And unlike a lot of people in my generation, I actually wasn't impressed with it. And my mom showed me this magazine article, which had this wizard with a flowing beard and a pointy hat and gray robes. And I'm like, "Ugh, wizards again, because, you know, I just come <laughs> off my disappointment with Harry Potter. And she oh, gen- she gently says to me, no, ma- ma- this is this is different. I think you will enjoy this. It's got a different tone and style from Harry Potter. And so I read that magazine article, which frustrates me. I cannot remember what the article was or in what the title was and what magazine it was in. But it changed my life because I went out and bought The Lord of the Rings as soon as I could. The paperback editions at my nearest bookstore devoured them in anticipation of the Peter Jackson movies coming out. And it just floored me. I went and then just read The Hobbit, um, uh, The Silmarillion, you know, I just became enthralled with this world of Middle Earth. And I can I can pretty much say for certain I wouldn't be a writer today without Tolkien, certainly not the kind of writer I am, because I've done a lot of writing about fantasy and about science fiction. And I kind of trace my love for those genres to discovering Tolkien at 13. He literally changed my life. And to this day, I still listen to the uh, the audio books of the Lord of the Rings, uh, the the Robert Inglis yeah. narrations mm. at least once a year, sometimes several times a year. But <laughs> <laughs> so I have lost count of the number of times I have read the Lord of the Rings. Nice. Nice. Thank you. So, Jeff, how about you? Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, how you encountered uh, the Lord of the Rings. Sure. So, um, you, as y'all may know, I'm I'm new to the uh, to being a panelist with SQPN, um, and I'm work as a benefit consultant in the in Dallas, Texas. Um, and generally, I love sci-fi fantasy um, of of all sorts. So, um, but especially Tolkien, I can I can't pinpoint my exact first time I ever heard of The Hobbit or anything. I do remember in a class in second or third grade. Uh, my teach one of my teachers reading part of the Hobbit where it was the scene where Bilbo is rolling with Gollum. Um, that's the first thing I can remember. And then fast forward several years later, I heard these movies are coming out. I don't think I'd ever really picked up the books since that class, but the movies coming out, I'm, I usually like to read the book before the movie. So went out and got the books and um, absolutely love them. And then I, absolutely love the first movie. Um, and then in, I believe it was in ninth grade around when the first movie came out, I actually did a book report on Tolkien and actually learned about his background and developing the languages and everything like that. And just thought it was, and thought it was so cool. And, uh, so, and then I've watched all the movies and I, and then in college I did pick up and read the Silmarillion. I don't know that I understood it all, but I did read it. Um, and then I think did. I've read <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I've watched the movies almost every year since I, I haven't really gone back to the books until about a year ago. I, I started reading the Silmarillion again, uh, a little bit more slower pace and in a book club. So I kind of was able to digest it and understand it a little bit better. And then after the Silmarillion leading up to the show, I wanted to reread the Hobbit and 
Lord of the Rings. So um, I would say just I've I've had a long like of Tolkien, but I've really developed uh, more of a love for his writing in the more recent years. Um, always liked it, but really have started to love it, especially as I've read it pretty subsequently. Um, and but a big fan of the movies as well. So awesome. Yeah, I, I have to interject just like the experience of for some of you, the the books and the movies were concurrent, the encounters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was decades. I The books were just the, were the only thing I had <laughs> apart from the Rankin Bass um, uh, right. animated. I was going to say, they did exist. <laughs> there's a way, you know, that, that whole thing. I mean, I love that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. To the, uh, that different perspective on how much the movies must influence your own mental image of what of the books. Uh, whereas I had, you know, all that time to really set an image in my mind of, of what the the middle middle earth and all the people in it look like. So uh, it's interesting. And maybe that'll come out more as we have our discussions ongoing. So that'll be, that'll be fun. So uh, Thomas Senehro, how about you? Tell us about yourself and uh, your Tolkien background. All right. Yeah. So I'm I am a, a regular contributor to SQPN podcasts. So kind of the other direction from uh, from you, Jeff. But uh, I I the first memory I have of Tolkien is I, I was an avid reader uh, as growing up and I would read anything I could get my hands on. And it was finding Wizard of Earthsea in uh, a library and reading it that got me into fantasy. And so that's Earth, uh, Ursula Le Guin, which is a, a separate author. but Everywhere I looked when I started reading fantasy novels, people kept talking about this guy, Tolkien. They were like, this is Tolkien-esque or this comes from in, in, in the vein of Tolkien or something like that. So I'm like, who is this guy, Tolkien? Right. <laughs> and and that's how I ended up finding the Lord of the Rings books was from all of these references in these other books. And I, I started I didn't even know The Hobbit existed. I read Lord of the Rings all the way through and loved it. And then, you know, went on a search for all of the other things that he had, had written. I read actually the Silmarillion first and then came back to the hobbit afterwards oh, wow. Wow. and so my experience of the hobbit is very different from what i think anyone else is <laughs> that's out there because normally that's the normally that's kind of the entryway that people get into lord of the rings from but i was very much the opposite direction and and i fell in love with all of it i, I absolutely love the high fantasy the tone of the writing is something that that i adore and then i this followed me you know this was when i was in uh middle school like i think probably fourth grade is when i started reading fantasy novels so i would have hit tolkien by fifth grade at the latest and then I had him all the way through my uh, schooling and then i got to um to college and i started studying uh middle english and germanic studies and lo and behold tolkien came up again and mm. So I, I was I was tasked a paper to write about uh, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. And his is the copy that I went to. Uh, his translation of Gowan and the Green Knight was the copy that I went to to learn about it and to get, you know, his commentary that was in there as well. Um, and he had a bunch of other you know commentaries about the the ring cycle and the different all of the different Germanic studies that I was going through as I was uh traveling through college. So I have had a lot of Tolkien, uh, both in the purely fantasy sense, but also in the academic sense of learning from the way that he constructed language and looked at language and looked at uh, fantasy stories. So I love both sides of it. It's very, he's a, such an interesting figure just as a, as a storyteller, but also as uh, a person who is deeply impressed with myth and fantasy 
and the creation of something real in a fantastical setting. Mm. Excellent. Thanks. All right, Caitlin, that leaves uh, you to uh, tell us about yourself and uh, your life in Tolkien. Okay, so uh, my name is Caitlin Fisista, and I'm a Catholic convert and a wife and a mother. And um, I would say that I was introduced to Tolkien around the time when I was about 10. Um, this was after the first movie had come out, and my dad had actually gotten a DVD of The Fellowship of the Ring for his birthday. And my dad is a real Star Wars guy. He's really into sci-fi, and he's not into fantasy at all. So he got this DVD, and he's like, I don't really want this. I don't know what to do with it. But I saw it and I was like, what is this? I was immediately intrigued. And so I watched it and just immediately fell in love with the the movie. And um, once I figured out, oh, this is based on a book, um, I had to get the books. And then um, I was kind of that nerd in middle school who was scribbling my name in elvish all over my notebooks and stuff. And <laughs> yes. everyone was like, yeah. I feel like I got bullied quite a bit. Um, so it wasn't a very glamorous start, but I was just so in love with Tolkien. And I don't really think I understood why at first it was just something so immersive and something that drew me in. Um, and I really just kind of followed that thread throughout all of middle school and then high school. And, um, when I got married, one of my best friends, he gave me a copy of the Silmarillion as a wedding gift. And he wrote a really nice note on the inside and I still have it. It's like one of my most worn out books, but um, it's really special to me. And um, again, I just kept following Tolkien, like, where is he going to lead me? And he also ended up playing a really big role in my conversion to Catholicism, because once I found out that Tolkien was Catholic, I was like, well, this is a guy that I respect so much. And he seems like he really knows what he's talking about. And um the whole philosophy of Middle Earth just makes so much sense. So like he must be on to something. So um, Tolkien played a really big role in my conversion. He's also um, carried me through a lot of dark times in my life. Like um, I've had a couple of miscarriages or just like different, I don't know, just different seasons of suffering. Um, I've found so much hope and strength in Tolkien's works. And so um, since then, uh, maybe like five or six years ago, I started a website called Tea with Tolkien and we do a book club and all kinds of other Tolkien related activities online. And it's just like such a really great um, free community. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I've just been diving deeper and deeper into Tolkien ever since I was about 10. And I feel like you can't really ever read too much of him or get too much from him. And mm -hmm. I'm always learning yeah. something new with every reread. That yes, is inexhaustible. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I love the fact that we come from a, a diverse set of backgrounds with Tolkien. You know, the, the, we all have a slightly different approach that we've made, um, different encounters. Uh, but I think it's clear we all have this love for the work uh, that might be multifaceted. It might, you know, it's such a, a, a huge encompassing work that there's lots of different ways, parts of it to love in a particular way. Uh, do you, what is your favorite character from from the stories from the books? Do you do you have a favorite? Um, if <laughs> if I had to have to had to make you choose, um, Thomas Hob uh, uh, Salerno. Uh, sorry, I, I'm going to have to remember <laughs> to do that. Uh, wh who is your favorite character and why? 
Oh, it, it and it's so hard to pick, but I've I've actually thought a lot about this, and if I can kind of cheat and say two, but they kind of go together. <laughs> yes, is Merry and Pippin. Yes, they are one they, character. <laughs> they are they are my favorite characters, and specifically in in their book incarnations because they grow so much mm-hmm. literally over the even. course of the saga <laughs> yeah and they're not only growing because they drink the entrails and grow yeah. like half a foot taller but like they, they go from being these kind of like youthful inexperienced kids i mean pippin's always getting into trouble you know and and driving gandalf nuts and they they end up going on all these you know crazy adventures you know like mary becomes a rider of rohan and helps take down the witch king pippin saves faramir's life they they both become these heroes and they end up coming back and like liberating the shire and like when in in the scouring of the shire it's like so imp- you you just get hit with this feeling these two young people have grown so much they've seen so much over the course of their journey that they're not the same people is when they left and they have these like just this air of like seasoned veterans like they know exactly what to do when the shire is in danger and just that that arc that character growth i just think is so fascinating i think that sometimes they're almost underrated characters but i i love mm-hmm. mary and pippin and their their whole story it just fascinates me i love a good character arc awesome awesome jeff how about you do you have a favorite character yeah, um, well, I might have said Marion Pippin, but I don't know if I can top uh, <laughs> Thomas's uh, description there. Um, uh, but I, I do like Marion Pippin. Um, I, I think I, if I have, if I absolutely have to pick, I would probably still pick Aragorn, which mm. it may be a cliche, but I'm a big. I, I love Gondor, Numenor, which uh, can, that makes me very excited for the show here. Um, but yep. just the big the history of the of these kingdoms and the lineage of Aragorn uh, dating back to um, to the elves and uh, and and man and uh, and others uh, as we might get into. So uh, just his being the culmination of the of this uh, plan, essentially, to um, for men to kind of take over uh, from the elves and the governance governance of the world. Um, so, so I, I'm not saying I'm like Aragorn. He just happens to be, I think my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I was identifying more with characters, I would probably identify with hobbits because I, I like to eat and hang out and <laughs> relax. So <laughs> I would say I'm very, very hobbitish in, in that sense. But yeah, I, I just, I love, love a good, uh, big noble, uh, kingdom and, uh, history and, Gondor and all that is is an is embodied in Aragorn. So I think for for this, I'll say Aragorn. Awesome. Okay, Thomas and Erho, who's your favorite? This is hard, man. This is like yeah. it's like picking Making your favorite you child or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I think I I went so many different directions thinking about this one too. Uh, I when I was a when I was a kid. I, I was at the Rohirrim were my mm. uh, heroes just all across the board. And that, that moment where uh, the, the, the witch King is confronted and <laughs> there's just that huge reveal. I am no man. And that was, I cheered. I literally, the first time I read that I was sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office and I dropped the book and cheered. <laughs> so that nice. was, you know, I, I was that <laughs> just engrossed in the book and everything. But if I have to pick an absolute favorite, 
it's got to be one of the side characters that just builds the mythos of the world. And Tom Bombadil is my go to mm-hmm. for that, where nice. he's just good choice. A, a figure that doesn't fit that, but fits perfectly, like tells the whole story of the rest of the world that's there just underlying everything but you know he's he, he got cut from the movie because he didn't make any <laughs> sense you know <laughs> yes i love yeah, that i don't think he fit the tone yes right <laughs> i love the idea that tolkien uh, I, i'm gonna guess his editors at unwin probably said to tolkien and i don't remember from the letters if, if this if he if uh, tolkien wrote about this but my guess is some editor sat down and said this doesn't belong here. Cut that. Like, uh-huh. what is this, this digression here? Who's this character? But Tolkien knew he had to be there for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about this work is th- there was a reason for everything. Uh, right. So I like that mm-hmm. you picked uh, B- Bombadil. Uh, okay, Caitlin, how about you? Do you have a, I'm going to make you pick a favorite. Okay, yeah, so this was very hard, but I, I'm i thinking that my favorite character is Elbereth. Um, mm. I love the fact that she kind of bridges the gap between the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings. So um, mm. for listeners, mm. if you haven't read the Silmarillion, um, uh, Elbereth or Varda is one of the like angelic beings who is a part of the creation of the world. And she actually, um, one of her biggest roles is she creates the stars. But then um, when you get to the Lord of the Rings, you have all of these mentions throughout the story of Elbereth and you have the elves singing a hymn to her and you have um, her name like called out in, in different moments of distress. And so I love the fact that she's been there the whole time and she kind of brings the story all together and reminds us that this is all one really big story. And then there's also a lot of Marian aspects to her character and um, Tolkien writes that she's one of the Valar that Morgoth hated the most and feared the most, and she's just so powerful. So I think she's probably my favorite character. That's cool. I like that. That is an unconventional choice, but really good one. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, so for me, I you know I love the great heroes. The whether it's um, Arendelle or um, uh, Turin Turinbar or Beren, you know, with the, with the Silmaril. But I'm going to kind of draw it back a little and, a little and say it's Sam because mm. S- Sam is a hero of a different sort. He's the not he's not the guy up front. Frodo's the guy up front. Sam is the guy who gets it done and goes home and starts a family and grows his garden, you know, and and that's me. If I feel like in, in a way, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a hero. I'm I've got a family. I'm. Raising, you know, raising kids, I'm, and and I identify with him so much, and I would hope that I would be as strong as he was. And he didn't even see himself as strong. That's the that's the great part is, uh, is is that. And in fact, if I were to guess, I guess Tolkien saw himself most in Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just based on things I've read, but. Um, yeah, so Samwise Gamgee is, uh, to me, my favorite character, both in the books and of the film. I think Sean Astin did a great job. It might have been the best portrayal of the characters, maybe Gandalf, uh, you know, from the, from mm-hmm. the from the books to the movie. But uh, Sean Astin did a fantastic job. Um, I always thought Elijah Wood was too young. 
be honest, you know. Um, That's fair. Well, Frodo's yeah. supposed to be 50 in the book, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Frodo should have looked more like me than Elijah Wood. But, yeah, let's, <laughs> uh, I'm available. Uh, so, um, so yeah. Uh, so, Samwise, my favorite. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about something that from the films, and we could talk about our favorite films or favorite elements from the films. My favorite part of the films was the music. I mm. love mm-hmm. the, the music is perfect. Like uh, John Williams is my favorite film composer. I know that's a cliche, but you know, the guy's a, a genius. He's the Beethoven of our time. You know I mean? You can't, yeah. but he's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. But Howard Shore's score for the Lord of the Rings films is to use an over, overused word, iconic. It, you hear it, you know it like the, the Shire theme is that is when I'm out for a walk uh, there's a place near here uh, where I live called World's End, and it's a uh, uh, it's a park that's on the it's it's on a, a little island like a, with a causeway to it, and it's got these giant trees, and it's it's like the Shire, right? And when I walk there, I hear that music. In fact, sometimes I play it on my phone um, while I'm walking because <laughs> it's just like that the Shire music. So uh, that's something I love from the films. Uh, is there? Is there something particular that stands out for any of you about maybe a favorite film or something from the films that's your favorite? I really liked the fact that they incorporated some of the poetry into the films. Mm. Um, I was I was yeah. worried about that because that's one of the things that my kids take away from the reading that I do because I read it out loud to my children and I give voice to everything. And when they sing a song. I sing a song <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and, and my kids love that because it's not it doesn't really have terribly much of a tune and sometimes midway through the song i change the tune because i realize what the cadence is supposed to be you know <laughs> yep. um so so but but they they did that they really pulled that in and there's and that's a that was a gamble that uh i feel like peter jackson really uh rolled with and presented it well and made it come across in, in on screen in a very strong and solid way mm. that gave good homage to the source material and, and, and was well done. Awesome. Anyone else? So what, something from the films you want to, I like how in, in one interview that was done with Peter Jackson, he said, we want to film this trilogy of movies. Like it's a historical epic. We mm. want to be as authentic as possible to convince you that this is stuff that really happened or that we took a time machine and filmed all of this. Cause like in Tolkien's frame narrative, this is all supposed to take place in the deep ancient past of our own earth. Like middle earth is earth. And that that's, it just, the movies just came off as so authentic, all the props, all the sets. And, and some of the, like like the, the whole Minas Tirith miniature mm-hmm. set that they built, you know, mm-hmm. it looked like a real city. It had that, almost star Wars kind of lived in universe feel like it, it was just so immersive. It, it, it really captured that sort of immersive quality about the books that I love because the books you can tell Tolkien's developed a whole history and mythos based on these languages that he invented. So it feels real, like authentic history. And somehow Peter Jackson and his team were able to capture that in these movies. And, and that, that's what I love about the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy films. Well, something, yeah, something that popped into my head as we're talking about that, um, is 
it's amazing how high quality the films are, because if you go back and watch any other movie made in the early 2000s, the CGI is almost always terrible. But when you Mm -hmm. go in back and watch the Lord (laughs) of the Rings movies, like it's almost comparable to stuff that's still coming out today. Like Mm -hmm. they you can tell the amount of craftsmanship that went into the effects and the props and and everything like it was such a labor of love. and they were working with some of the most talented people around the world to make these films. And so they still hold up today and they don't feel cheesy or dated even 20 years later, which for a movie, I feel like is is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say something that's almost heretical, which is I think the CG in these films is better than the contemporary Star Wars films, the prequels from ILM. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know that's, that's controversial, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> It it holds up more than the prequels CG holds up. Um, it is. Yeah, you're right. Well, and I think I think to, to that point, they went very heavy on the practical effects and only dropped back to the um, uh, to the CG when they had to. So the big, the huge battle scenes, there was just no way they could you know manage mm-hmm. that so they, they did that and and some of the some of the stories about that are very interesting because they developed ais for these guys that would make the units try and act naturally so that they would if they got routed they would have to back off and <laughs> yep. and so the ai was a little too good at doing that so they had to tone it down some yeah, <laughs> and, I remember uh, that. yeah. you know so it, it was still early days of this kind of stuff but uh they they really they limited that as much as they could to only spots where they really needed it and they could get away with it by, you know, hiding it behind colors and behind the other practical effects they had. So we could keep, you know, real characters in the front and then have the other things going on in the background that were there for flavor, but could be ignored if you, if Mm -hmm. you needed to. And that's something that I think a lot of times today, the studios are trying to put the CG in the front to show off. And, and it's not, that's not really what CG's good at. <laughs> right. Right. How about you, Jeff? Anything from the films? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm a big fan of the films. As I said, I've probably watched them almost every year. Um, I, and I just rewatched them uh, recently after I finished re- rereading the books. And um, I'm a big fan of the films. I know they're not perfect adaptations, um, but just the visuals always really strike me uh, This of the settings, whether it's um, Moria or... Minas Tirith or Rivendell just and just not only the the set design or the CG but just the lighting uh sometimes especially in like Rivendell it you can definitely kind of see that the elvish world is kind of starting to fade away and um and it just kind of prefigures what what happens at the end of Return of the King when the elves do uh do leave Middle-earth so I, I just think the visuals and a lot, I mean, it's all, it's a complete package. The music, as, as you said, the visuals um, and, but it just feels like a, and I love the history of, of the middle earth. And you can just see that in how they built that into uh, the various locations. And um, I'm a history major by, uh, by degree. So just anything history, historical, I'm a big fan of. So just seeing it, it all looks very lived in. It's not, clean and pristine um when it shouldn't be so i i just love the visuals um and in the films and if i'm picking a favorite it, it might be return of the king just because uh i love the big battles i love the kind of the culmination of both the quests uh, for the ring as well as um 
Aragorn uh, claiming his throne, even though I know in the films it's a little bit different. He was the reluctant hero versus he always wanted to be the be the hero in uh, or always take the throne in the books. But uh, I think Return of the King is just the culmination of all of that mm-hmm. uh, as the finale it should be. So, you know, several times we mentioned, you know, that it's a lived in world. Uh, which it is uh, the 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 films, but also in the books. One of the things that the films does right, though, is even though it's a kind of medieval setting, not really, but you know what I mean. Um, it's swords and horseback, that sort of thing. Um, that mm-hmm. sort of technology. They don't do what a lot of films do, which is depict that sort of setting as grimy and downtrodden mm-hmm. and like right. a terrible place no one would want to live. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankly, I'd live in the Shire. I mean, I'd move to Matamata, New Zealand tomorrow if I could. I mean, I just I would, I would live in the set tomorrow. Because <laughs> Hobbiton is a beautiful place to live or Minas Tirith or any of these places. Uh, so I, I do love that about the movies is that they did a good job of balancing that sense of lived in. But also a, it's a beautiful place. The Middle Earth is as much a character in these stories as mm-hmm. the people in it. I think definitely. Yeah, that's true. Definitely agree with that. Uh, and and again, uh, you you all kind of hit on something that I that is one of the things I I deeply love about these stories, which is it's a world that exists. It's a it feels again. Tolkien is the world builder par excellence. Like Brandon Sanderson is known as a world builder. Uh, S M Sterling is a world builder. But Tolkien started it. He's he's the the beginning. He's the guy who built a world over the course of almost seventy years. And started with the language, you know, it was it was a world that had to exist because he needed a place to set an invented language. And he, right. he knew enough about language that it had to be influenced by events. And so he created the, the mythos and all of that. And that's what I think one of the reasons why it's so successful is because it's organic in in that in that way and long lived. Um, so that's one of the things I most love about these stories yeah i like i like his take on kind of why he wanted these things to exist and it was because he wanted the the phrase elf and dwarf to be more than just an elf like you have elf this a mystical creature yeah elf <laughs> yeah. on a shelf kind of thing uh, and he and he wanted elves and dwarves and he wanted elvish and dwarvish and those he wanted those things to to be and not just in the sense that there's like, uh, you know, elves, E-L-F-S, but mm-hmm. E-L-V-E-S, you know, the same way that, that we have humans. And it's, it's a pluralization of this culture that comes along with it. And that, you know, when you read about his writings about it, it's really interesting because um, he wanted fairy tales to come into existence and to have that richness behind them not just that an elf was this otherworldly creature but why were they an otherworldly creature what what about them Mm. made them that way and so that and it's a really interesting take because it, it moves from this situation where we're othering these things and and we're being humans the way we are where we're this is a mystery it's something different and it's either terrifying or uh we want to prod it uh, and we're and he's bringing it into a, a true existence that we can understand why they're different from us and so the the character of who a dwarf is and what makes them tick and why they're into craft why they uh exhibit these these greed uh tendencies to themselves it became part of 
the narrative of who they were as a culture and built something bigger than just these greedy little things that lived in the earth and wanted to steal or, or jealously guard their things. They, they had reason for it. They admired craft. They, the beauty was found in the things that they could make. And he just built this incredible richness to these tales that were essentially children's tales and made them mean so much more than just that, you know, very simple uh, caricature that they were before. Nice. So uh, we could talk for hours and hours and we will <laughs> in the future episodes of this podcast about the wonder of Tolkien. But I want to move on to our, uh, the, the main reason we've started this podcast right now, which is Amazon primes, the rings of power series. Uh, and, Obviously, anyone listening knows what I'm talking about because this is why we're here uh, and uh, why you've probably subscribed. Uh, it is a new series that takes place in the second age of Middle Earth. Um, I'm just going to point out that six years ago, I posted on social media saying that they need to make a TV series set in Numenor in the second age, uh, as long as it isn't Game of Thrones. Um, I, so I just, I'm taking credit now for that uh, yes it's it's all you it's me thanks you're you welcome everyone um thanks I'll uh, credit from them yeah yeah i i haven't seen it yet so i'm kind of maybe maybe i shouldn't take credit yet but uh, we'll, we'll get there your, che- your check is it's in the, the mail, mail. <laughs> so uh and i i, I kind of want to before we start talking about our you know what we expect what we're hoping for to, to point out something I think that uh, someone already kind of referenced, which is books and movies are different things. I expect mm-hmm. uh, the storytelling in a movie is or a TV show is going to be different from storytelling in a book. And I can't expect a filmmaker to make a film or or, you know, streaming series that's exactly like the book. It just isn't possible. Um, we see that over and over again. But you could still have a really good visual, uh, you know, uh, uh, piece of visual medium that tells a good story that is not that doesn't do violence to the original, but in fact enhances mm-hmm. it uh, in, in some ways. And so when I approach these things, I expect them to be different from the book to, to diverge in some ways. It's just inevitable. I, I mean, with a series that takes place in the second age over the course of thousands of years <laughs> that we don't have thousands of years to tell this story. So they're going to compress things. And so, uh, that's that's one of the things I, I kind of want to bring up is, is what are your hopes and fears for this new series? Um, you know, what what are you looking forward to and what are some of the things you, you're hoping to, you, you know, concerns you're hoping to have allayed, set aside uh, once it premieres? Um, and again, we'll start with you, uh, Thomas Salerno. What do you think? Well, what I'm really hoping for is compelling character arcs. Because I love character-driven stories. I love when the characters drive the story rather than just kind of the plot affecting them and, you know, them reacting to it. And some of the things that I've seen, I I haven't been, you know, paying attention to a ton of like the rumor mill, but some of the articles I've read and some things I've picked up from the trailers, I think we're going to get some really interesting character arcs because i think we're going to have some characters who we know from the books and the movies starting at a place in their life where they're not those characters yet and Mm -hmm. they kind of have to grow into the people you know we know from tolkien's books or from the peter jackson movies and i think that's going to be an interesting transformation uh, to watch if if they do it right and i hope they do it right Mm -hmm. um 
Also, I'm 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 a lore guy. I I'm hoping for deep lore references, you know, for from the first stage, from the the unfinished tales, just all those neat little tiny, you know, references that us Tolkien geeks just love to freak out about. So, I mean, I I, I saw the two trees in that one trailer, so I know we're getting that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I would say my my biggest fear is I hope that. Unlike a lot of shows today, they don't use this as some kind of vehicle to make uh, some sort of statement like I, I, I don't know who is responsible for this phrase, but I like the it was it was some author or filmmaker who said, like, if you want to send a message, use Western Union. So, <laughs> right. so in other words, like like you, you, you can tell a message using fiction, obviously. But just don't beat the audience over the head with it. And and Tolkien mm-hmm. himself was very good at that, you know, and he and he even says like in in one, I, I think it, it's the preface to the Lord of the Rings. He says it had in the intention of the author, no message, mm-hmm. you know, but he wove all these interesting themes into it that we can explore. I'm hoping that they do that, that they weave all kinds of interesting themes in. My biggest fear is that they ham fist in some sort of message that, that really doesn't fit. OK, That's good, mm-hmm. good, good way of putting it. That, yeah, was, that was his big argument with, uh, with that was his Lewis. big argument with uh, Lewis, yeah, was, Lewis yeah. you know, about ham fisting mm-hmm. the message in right <laughs> and analogies. He hated when people oh, like, yeah, oh, Sauron's uh, Hitler, right? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> the, the ring is the atomic bomb. Yeah. But then in his letters, he's like, "We're trying to wield the ring against Sauron." When he's talking about yeah. the World War Two, yeah, so. right. you know the 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 professor is uh, he's we'll give him some leeway in consistency, I guess. <laughs> I think he's he's definitely a lot um, in his uh, like professional statements. He was very. I do not like allegory, but then in his personal letters, he's a little more relaxed. Like, yeah. hmm. yes. like this wasn't meant to be the same, but but uh, very similar. Right, right. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Uh, hopes and fears for Rings of Power? Yeah, so um, definitely some hopes and things that I think we'll get for sure are I'm excited for seeing some more dwarves because at least in the films um, and Return of the King, we saw one main dwarf and then a few scenes of other dwarves and then in the hobbit we got we got dwarfs there but just on a you know on just the few and then we aside from flashback scenes so i'm excited and just going along with that is seeing some of these kingdoms in their their kind of height of their glory yeah at least for the dwarves in uh numenor uh i know we unfortunately we probably won't get to see some of the the elf kingdoms that were destroyed in the in the uh, first age such as gondolin but I, I'm. I think it'll be very cool to see some of these uh, kingdoms at the height of their glory, and, and even seeing Rivendell uh, possibly in its construction as it's or in the in process of kind of being built up. Because by the time of Return of the King, it's we as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of in decline a little bit. Not in that it's falling apart, just that it's not at the height of its glory. So mm. I'm very excited for that, and I have um, just uh, I'm I have always really liked the the stories of Numenor the. And we unfortunately we don't get too much of it in Tolkien's writings, but um, that is something I'm very I, I have a lot of hope for. And um, as well as seeing some of these these just scenes depicted like Celebrimbor uh, forging the rings, um, mm-hmm. which I it's yeah. kind of been heavily hinted that we'll see and just some just other forging or crafting, which we've only seen a little bit of in the in the mm. film. So um, I'm 
I'm hopeful for that. And then I would say I, I don't have a lot of fears other than kind of general, um, as we said, you know, forcing a message down our throats. Uh, Cause, and as you said, they can have a message and just show it to us. Don't just tell it to us uh, the whole time. Uh, show right. don't tell is always is, is oftentimes much better. So I'm, I'm hope I'm have some concern of that just because that's just how a lot of modern uh, modern TV and films are, are presented is that there's a message rather than trying to uh, tell a story and, and have characters drive it forward. So, okay. you know, uh, Thomas also mentioned the, you know, the idea of flashbacks to places and I, and you mentioned Gondolin. I kind of hope at some point we get a flashback of Gondolin because I've, that is yeah. one place in the Silmarillion that always captured my imagination whenever I would read it is Same. what must yeah. have this place have looked like? It must've been amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm kind of hoping at some point we get to see it. Cause we, we're going to get a glimpse of Valinor. As you mentioned, we see the two trees and that's where Valinor is. Um, so mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe. I hope hope springs eternal. Uh, Thomas and Arho, how, how about you? We, your uh, hopes and fears? Yeah, um, I'm glad that we're seeing new, uh, new Lord of the Rings stuff, like new Middle Earth stuff. That's that's new. That's that's genuinely new, like completely new, even to us who've read probably everything there is to read about it. <laughs> um, this is all going to be uh, at least a majority of it's going to be new territory that that even we have not experienced, which is is very good. I think that was a very smart choice on the part of Amazon to kind of pick this unplumbed uh, era to go mm-hmm. into depth with uh, because I, and, and this I'll go back to the Game of Thrones talking about you know where they where they did so well was when they were tracking right along with the books that George Martin had written and where they ran into problems were was when they took those same characters beyond where they had gone in the books and they kind of unraveled toward the end because they didn't have even Martin's real involvement much towards the end there and they we're trying to, I think, hit a pivot point that he was wanting to go for, but they didn't have the the aplomb with the way the characters worked in his style to to really carry it through to the end. And so what we've got here is a limited set of characters that we know, which I think is really smart. So we've got Galadriel, who's obviously the front and center, uh, but then we've got a bunch of new ground to play with. And that's what I'm really interested in seeing you know, where they go in these, in these new directions. So it's, you know, creating new Lord of the Rings stuff, which is awesome. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So Caitlin, you're in a different position from the rest of us. And I, I, I'll, I'll uh, reveal that now, which is you've had the opportunity. Uh, you were invited by Amazon to, to fly over to Oxford in England to see some preview mm-hmm. uh, materials. And then uh, you went to Comic-Con in San Diego this past summer, where you participated in some, um, uh, rings of power activities that the Amazon was putting on. Um, and then you were just this past week in New York city for a initial screening, shall we say of the uh, <laughs> first two episodes, right? Is that what it is? Yep. The, yeah. Which I'm, which I guess means we're going to see the first two episodes on the premiere date. Um, yeah. So uh, on the first two episodes will drop together. Okay. So, so you, so for you, it's not so much hopes and fears as what you've already seen. So maybe you could <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about um, how. Well, I want to have a, an extended discussion when we've all seen it, 
but maybe you can give us some impressions of maybe what your hopes and fears were going in and how you're feeling about it now. Sure. Um, so I definitely uh, am not allowed to go into any detail um, and I wouldn't want to anyways, because I wouldn't want to spoil anything for anyone. But um, I think my my major concerns going in were that the show was going to try to mirror the style of Game of Thrones in the way that it's completely inappropriate for children. Um, and I left the screening thinking that I am pretty sure at least my oldest child, who's nine, um, will actually really like the show. And so mm. that was a huge relief for me. Um, and my, I, I know every parent is different, so I'm not going to say let your nine-year-old watch the first episode. You should obviously screen it before you show yeah. your kids. Um, and my kids have seen a lot of action shows and, you know, somewhat scary shows. So um, our family's a little more into stuff like that. But um, that was probably the best, best thing about it. I, I left the showing just feeling very, very calm. Um, and relieved because I did have a lot of fears about um, certain things that we had seen in the in the trailers. I think the way that the trailers have been cut together kind of caused me to worry about certain different things happening throughout this, the series. But seeing everything in context um, gave me a lot of peace and I, I did feel a lot better and a lot more hopeful um, than I did going into it. I, I feel very, my, my main concern is that because they have, um, because of the time compression that they're utilizing, I worry that they're going to use that to take as many liberties as they want and just be like, well, it's time the time compression, you know, like kind of use it as a blanket excuse for whatever they want. Mm. Um, so, so I don't, we won't really know that I guess until we've seen the whole show, all, yeah. all of the seasons of it. Right. Um, but that does make me nervous. And then I also, um, I just feel still like just, just concerned because there are so many new characters that have been invented for the series. And I, it feels very disorienting because when you have these characters, you already know from the books, you're like, well, I know where I am. I know where they're going. But then as soon as you have a new character, it's just like, where am I? Who are you? Like, what's going on here. And so, um, but that's also very exciting too, because if it was just all written characters, I don't think there would really be any thrill in watching the show. <laughs> so I am really looking forward to it. Um, I don't know how to say much more without saying too much. I, guess. <laughs> Good. No, that's great. I do not want to get in, in any trouble. <laughs> what was the experience like in going to these different events? Just, to, just as a fan, uh, you know, they approach you, they, Hey, would you like to come? And then you get to these events. I mean, what was that like to, to be there? You've met the stars and the, and the make the filmmakers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to meet the showrunners in, in London. And then when I went to Comic-Con, we got to have a really special lunch with the cast. Um, I think it was about 20 uh, different cast members and they had us in different groups. So we, basically moved in groups around kind of like speed dating so that we got a chance to talk to everyone. And so that was really, really cool. And it was, it was neat because I saw a couple of the actors in New York and they seemed to have remembered me. I don't know if maybe their PR people were like prepping them because they wanted us to feel special, but um, I'm very pregnant right now. 
and I was less pregnant in July. So then when I saw uh, Morvith Clark, she's playing Galadriel. She was like, oh, you've popped. Like, she's, <laughs> so like, I don't know. That was just a really cool experience. Just um, the reminder that these are all humans, yep. um, just like us. And they have relationships and they're, they're all very excited about the show. And it's cool, too, because um, I'm sure in a couple years from now, they're going to be mega ultra famous. But right now, they're still just <laughs> normal people doing their job. and. Um, it's been really cool to hear a lot of their questions because they seem very concerned that we're concerned and they want to make sure um, that Tolkien fans feel at ease or that um, they're doing the work justice. Like I was able to talk to the actor who's playing Isildur and that was his first question. Mm -hmm. He was like, so what are you worried about? How can I like help you put your mind at ease? How can I do a good job with this role? Because he knows how important it is to all of us. Mm. That, that is such a big thing to me because Amazon itself has dropped, I don't know, ungodly amounts of money on this, this series. <laughs> yeah. They, it has to do well. I mean, they just, it needs to do well. And if you turn off all of the Tolkien fans right off the bat, yeah, you're, you're dead in the water. So right. I can't imagine they've done anything that would be so offensive. Now, there are ways to still screw it up, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's less worrisome to me. I've never been super worried. And some of the rumors have come out about like, oh, they have a, a coordinator for, I, I don't know, naked actors on set. I forget what they call it, but you know what I mean? It's like the they, intimacy coordinator. Thank you. Thank you. I, I In my what is a low class way of saying it, but uh, but thank you for the intimacy coordinator. But it's like in this day and age of Me Too, every set has an intimacy coordinator. Like every like it's all about mm -hmm. how people relate to each other. It's basically an HR person uh, on set. So and that sort of stuff. Like uh, people were afraid it was going to oh they're, they're Game of Thrones in it, which is now a mm -hmm. thing. Um, but I, I I was never that worried about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if they if they are going to do anything wildly offensive, they'll probably at least wait until season two. <laughs> yeah, so get us and then, uh, then get us all angry. Just so that we're hooked and then we can't stop, I guess. Yeah, but see, Game of Thrones did it first episode. So, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of how it yeah. opened for you. But yeah. that was also true to the books, too. It was, so yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were the same tone and content. Yeah. Right, right. So, um... You know, for me, you know, we're talking about like hopes and fears. I mean, my hope is that this is the realization of the, of what we wanted. Like when the Lord of the Rings films came out, uh, for me, it was the extended editions or nothing. Like I wanted yes. more, more. Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. a couple hours wasn't enough for this huge story. And to me, the one of the great things of our time right now is we have these streaming series, which are kind of like if we don't have to just get a two hour movie, we can have six, eight, 10, 12 hours of stuff mm -hmm. to tell the story properly. Now, sometimes it means they end up padding it and all that sort of nonsense. But but I, I just I feel like in order to do the 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 work of Tolkien justice, you need time and space. Mm -hmm. And that's. Mm -hmm. That's what we get with this, with a series like this and money, because it's just it's a big yeah. story. Um, I, I, I like Thomas. I agree. I like that. I think it was uh, one of you, Thomas, who said setting <laughs> in the second age an inspired choice because we that's the least we know about it, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of, of any of the ages. I and mean, we have uh, like in Unfinished Tales or in the Appendices, we have 
descriptions and some scenes, little bits of scenes written out, but it's the least developed. We we know what happens, but there's so much more that can be filled in. Um, right. And, and mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think, why the setting it in Numenor in the Second Age with Sauron and and all of what else what's going on in middle earth itself i think I, I, I it makes me very hopeful i'm i'm actually i'm really looking forward to it um my my fear is they can't they can't live up to the promise i mean really that's what it is so awesome mm-hmm. so there are a couple of trailers that have been out there was a new trailer that dropped just a few days ago um you mentioned, Caitlin, how that there was stuff in that trailer that concerned you. I heard other people also expressing concern about some of the things they saw in the trailer. But but as you mentioned, um, in your viewing uh, of the first two episodes, it you, it looked like the trailer was just cut in a particular way. And you have to understand that about trailers. Trailers are, are cut not by the filmmakers or the showrunners, but by marketing people. So um, absolutely. Yeah, I can I, you, you can tell by the way that the marketing campaign has been done for the show. Um, it's not the writers who are in charge of the marketing <laughs> at all. Yeah. And um, I feel like their marketing has been a little bit disastrous, um, which is, I think, caused a lot of problems for people and a lot of uh, fears and worries that might not um, have been necessary. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> well, I, I am pumped. Like, I, like after our discussion, mm-hmm. here, yeah. <laughs> I hope, I hope you all are too. Um, we are going to be uh, aiming to drop new episodes of this show, of this podcast on Tuesdays after episodes air. So we will need to, the weekend to rec- to recover to watch <laughs> and to record and then uh we'll we'll get new episodes up for you hopefully by Tuesdays uh, it, it it'll kind of depend on how our production schedule works at SQPN but um uh we're we're aiming for Tuesdays and we'll see how that goes and uh any last thoughts on what we've talked about so far anything uh, that you wanted to say that we didn't get to cover I'm just interested to see how they do the fall of Numenor. I think that's one thing mm-hmm. I, I forgot to mention mm-hmm. what I'm really looking forward to because the fall of Numenor is, is one of my favorite stories from the legendarium. It's just such an interesting progression from this like high Atlantis type kingdom to its corruption and downfall and all the, the, the political intrigue that could sort of happen with certain mm-hmm. characters involving mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing that unfold on screen. Yeah, and then following from that, um, I, I didn't mention earlier, but the obviously that leads into the Last Alliance, uh, which yes. is in the prologue of the film. So I and we could I, I don't we probably won't see them you know marching on Barador, but we could see them um, outside fighting before the Black Gate uh, mm-hmm. as a as kind of the, in, the end of counterpoint the to yeah. to the end of Return of the King, where right. they were fighting before the black gate again. So mm-hmm. um, yep. I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Numenor as well. And so um, I love to love to see it, but I'm going to, I think it'll be really great to see it leave too. So, yeah. Caitlin, you keep writing, uh, posting on uh, Twitter. I, I've noticed um, uh, El- uh, Elrond writing uh, uh, dad's dad's a star. Mom's a bird. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I, I think that's hysterical. That and where's Caliborn? Uh, those two yeah, things. Yeah. When I met uh, the actor who's playing Elrond, I wanted so bad to like ask him to say that so I could record it, but then I was too embarrassed. Oh man! <laughs> like I need you to say 
my dad's a star and my mom's a bird. Please. <laughs> that would have, I would have played would the heck brilliant. out of that on this podcast. I like, know. Just, <laughs> I just, I got too embarrassed. I couldn't do it. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's awesome. Um, if, if you ever get invited back to any of these things, I might send you a, a digital recorder to get people to re, you know, record some stingers for our podcast. Cause uh, <laughs> that'd uh, I be did, amazing. I, I mean, did, you don't have to be embarrassed because it's for the podcast. You know, it's not you. Right, it's this right. is still my work. podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got father Andrew Kinstetter. He does that for, the secrets of star wars he's got a bunch of the actors who've done stingers like you're listening to the secrets of star wars and oh that's uh, amazing yeah so uh there it's funny how uh these p- folks as you mentioned they're just folks and how often mm-hmm. they're willing to just to to accommodate people who are fans of their work who love the same mm-hmm. thing that, they, that that they're doing um and I, I love to see that in people that for them it's not just a job but they get excited and passionate about about the thing. And I hope that this is transformational for the people who make this show, uh, that mm-hmm. Tolkien's faith comes through. And we'll be talking about that as we talk about this story, uh, how his faith comes through for them as well. And I think that will be interesting um, to see. And maybe as for all of us to, to pray for them. I mean, we're all Catholic, right? If we want us to succeed and to be in the world as the work of the great J.R.R. Tolkien, um, and his in an example of his faith, maybe we should pray for that uh, outcome. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just encourage That's folks. A good idea. Yeah. And it's been a, we, it's we forget it's been a whole generation basically since those Peter mm-hmm. Jackson movies. It's time for a new generation to be introduced oh, to Tolkien mm-hmm. and to Middle Earth, and hopefully th- this show can do that. I feel as old as Bilbo at his 111th birthday now. <laughs> you know, as as an as a, as a parent, I feel really bad because I I told my kids they can't watch the movies until we've finished reading the books, and so <laughs> we, we finished the first book. They've watched the first movie, but they're like, "Dad, you've you've got to sit down and read to us more often because we need to get through these." <laughs> Hurry up, yeah. like, read Dad. faster, Dad. Read, read, read. Stop singing it. <laughs> but, yep, there is some of that. Skip the poems. Skip the poems. Just go, go ahead. Just go. <laughs> Skip ahead for them, brother Maynard. All right. Uh, have to, I'm going to get uh, silly now. So I'm going to cut things off here. And uh, I want to, before we end, take a moment to thank our patrons. They're the ones who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Middle Earth, including this time I want to thank Scott D, John S, John V, Lawrence Z, and Maria N. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Middle Earth and all the shows that StarQuest, and you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. So we would love to hear from you what you think of anything we've talked about, including your hopes and fears for Rings of Power. Uh, you can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth. Make sure there's two E's in the middle there. On our Facebook page, on Twitter, you can send an email to middleearth at sqpn.com. Or visit our channel on our Discord server server at sqpn.com slash Discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first two episodes of Rings of Power. Until then, Jeff Hecker, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle Earth. Thank you, Dom. Uh, Thomas Sernerho, thank you as well. It's been great. Thomas Salerno, thank you too. Thanks so much, Dom. And Caitlin Fasista, thank you very much. Thanks. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. <laughs>